0: What is a great privilege to be here with you uh, this morning, worshiping my family and I. Um, like Jason said, we just moved from Louisville, Kentucky eight months ago, so we're getting to know the town, your town, and this whole area of the country. Uh, moved here not knowing a soul. Uh, Jim was kind enough, though, early on in the fall to reach out to me for lunch, and we've met several times since then. Um, I've enjoyed getting to know him, and so kind of him to invite me to, to preach the word to you this morning. Um, I was looking at your website, perusing your website, and I noticed a job posting you have for a music leader, and there uh, you have a description for the candidate uh, describing your church. You say, we are a young church, reformed in doctrine. And I thought, there's probably some here who would say, what actually do we mean by that, that we are a reformed church? I know uh, folks at our church might ask the same question, because we would use the same terminology. Well, I think you know the basic uh, meaning of the word reformed, to be shaped or formed as before. Uh, But in terms of our doctrine and our our theology, uh, what do we mean when we say we're reformed? I thought we would just look at that briefly as we look at this series coming the next five weeks, the, the five solas of the Reformation. What do we mean by that word? Well, you're asking the question at a great time, So October of next year will be the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation when believers in the Lord Jesus Christ protested the false teaching of the church at that time and worked to bring about a recovery of the gospel under the leadership of men like Martin Luther and Ulrich Zwingli and and John Calvin. Maybe you recognize some of those names. We call these men reformers because they wanted the existing church of the day to reform, to again be shaped by the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Uh, That's how Jude puts it. So the Reformation was about the recovery of the gospel. That's why Martin Luther had to stand trial at the Diet of Worms. If you recall that, his life was on the line because of the doctrine of justification by faith. So historians have called the dispute over this doctrine the material cause of the Reformation. It was the, the material, the, the substance of the dispute. But what's lurking there in the background as Martin Luther stands trial, it is really a dispute over biblical authority. So the Reformers were convinced that people are made right with God by faith alone, not by works, but by what authority could they claim that? Well... By the authority of the Scriptures. So, this was the battle cry of the Protestant Reformation. Sola Scriptura. That was the formal cause of the Reformation. So, that's what we're going to look at today. The Scriptures alone are the Word of God, not church tradition, not church councils, not the teaching office of the Roman Catholic Church. Our ultimate infallible authority for life and doctrine are the Scriptures. So infallible, I mean incapable of error, incapable of making mistakes. So we believe that. That's part of the reason why we call ourselves Reformed. We have received this rich heritage of the Reformation. And it's important to point out, uh, the Reformers were not trying to create anything new. They were, they were not innovators. It might be better to call them excavators. They were recovering something that had been lost, long lost so today we'll look at the first of the five solas of the Reformation, sola scriptura, by scripture alone. Uh, next week will be um, grace alone, and then faith alone, Christ alone, and then we'll wrap up with um, uh, by God's, God's glory, for God's glory alone. Now by scripture alone, let's think about that for a moment. Can't I know that God exists apart from the scriptures? Well, we can. We know through what God has made, he has revealed a part of himself through, through nature, right? Um, and this is what we call general revelation because it's available to all people generally and because it's more general in content. Uh, we we learn that God is the creator and he's powerful, he's divine, we are accountable to him. Psalm 19.1, the heavens declare the glory of God. Secondly, don't I have a sense of right and wrong? apart from the scriptures? Well, yes, I do. God has revealed himself in our own moral awareness. Uh, Romans 2, 14 through 15, where it says, the Gentiles show that the work of the law is written on their hearts. So they had a general sense of right and wrong, independent of the law. God has just wired us that way. So when the reformers cried, sola scriptura, they were not denying general revelation. But they were insisting that there is only one written source of revelation, and that is the Scriptures. Theologians say uh, special. We call this special revelation uh, because only in the Scriptures do we learn about God's redemptive plan. Only in the Scriptures do we learn about Jesus Christ. General revelation cannot teach us these things. But the real flashpoint for the Reformers was the belief that began to develop in the latter half of the Middle Ages uh, that the Word of God could be found outside the Scriptures. Uh, The Roman Catholic Church began to teach that the infallible Word of God was in the Bible. They didn't argue with that. But it could also be found in church tradition and in the official pronouncements of the Pope. Well, that was the breaking point. So the word sola becomes very important here. The scriptures alone are the inspired word of God, the reformers argued. Church creeds and the decisions of councils are the works of men. Now, the creeds and the confessions of the church may be helpful summaries of scripture's teaching. Right? It would be arrogant to just throw off um, this rich history we have and, and think that we have just arrived independent of our brothers and sisters who have come before us. The reformers were glad to reach back to the church fathers and draw from them. Um, So church tradition is an authority to be reckoned with, but it's not an infallible authority. That's the key difference. What's the final arbiter of what we should believe as Christians? Sola Scriptura, by the scriptures alone. Only the Bible has the authority to bind the conscience. And you hear this doctrine in Luther's response before the assembly of the Holy Roman Empire at the Diet of Worms. If you can just imagine that, the dignitaries there, and he stands and says this, "'Unless I am convinced by the testimony of the Scriptures or by clear reason, for I do not trust either in the Pope or in councils alone, since it is well known that they often erred and contradicted themselves, I am bound by the Scriptures I have quoted, and my conscience is captive to the Word of God.' I cannot and will not retract anything, since it is neither safe nor right to go against conscience. May God help me. Amen. Well, that just lit a fire within Europe. So we, like Luther, we are living in some tumultuous times. Uh, the culture we live in feels increasingly hostile to our Christian faith, so we are going to need an unflinching confidence in the authority and trustworthiness Of God's word else we are going to be swept right along in the current that's happening right now so I'd like to look at a passage that's probably familiar to many of you Uh, Jason referenced it 2nd Timothy chapter 3 starting in verse 14 Uh, you can go ahead and turn there 2nd Timothy is the last letter that Paul wrote Uh, it's not addressed to a church but to an individual so strictly speaking this was not prepared to be read aloud to a congregation it's a personal letter and praise God that we have it, because this is the kind of conversation that you would like to be a silent observer of, and just to listen in. You have the aging Apostle Paul, this old, wise man, passing the, the torch to his young apprentice, Timothy. He is in a horrible place, Paul is, in the Mamertine prison, we think, which is a small, single cell underground there in Rome. You can still go there today and see it, in fact. He's been through one preliminary hearing already. He doesn't expect uh, a rescue other than the one that will take him home to be with the Lord. Uh, He says in chapter 4, verse 6, the time of my departure has come. So he thinks his execution will be soon. So we have here from the blinding light of the Damascus Road, where it all started, to a small dark cell underground, Paul is at the end of his ministry. This is the end. So here, in his concluding remarks, what is he going to say? Don't you want to just lean in and find out? This is the word of God, and it comes with authority. So listen with fresh ears, starting in verse 14. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So I would like to unpack these, uh, this passage here. Three reasons I see here in this text for why we should believe in the authority of Scripture. Uh, First, you look at that opening phrase, but as for you, Paul is drawing out a strong contrast between Timothy and his teaching and conduct versus that of the false teachers, which he he has gone through in verses 1 through 9. But as for you, Paul, he likes to write that way to Timothy. If you read his letters to Timothy, he'll say, but as for you, O man of God, or you, however, you see that in verse 10. But as for you, so this is Paul talking to Timothy, but he is also talking to us. This is God's word to us. You should feel the Holy Spirit's pointed finger in your chest this morning. Continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed. Why? Well, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. Why do you trust the Bible, someone might ask you. Why do you give it such authority in your life? One answer is because it's what my mom taught me. Now, they might scoff at that, and certainly there, there's, there's more to be said, and Paul does have more to say. But still, Timothy can say one of the reasons he trusts the Bible is because the godly ex- example of others who trusted the Bible. These people in his life that he's, that he's seen. Chapter 1, verse 5. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. So evidently, these women taught Timothy the scriptures, and it was actually reflected in their lives. And that's the important, right? There must be a one-to-one correspondence between what we teach in our lives, right? Otherwise, we're we're just going to lose people. Well, they had a sincere faith, Paul writes, and that left a powerful impression on Timothy. So I think there is a word here for parents, for children, Sunday school teachers, for anyone working with kids here in the the church. We need to teach the Bible to our kids, and our lives should reflect what we teach. Very simple, but so important We should be memorizing Scripture with our kids in hopes that one day, by the Spirit of God, it's going to blow up inside of them like latent dynamite. That's what we're after. Verse 15, Since childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. So coupled with instruction, our kids should be able to look back and recall the Bible's power and authority at work in our very lives. They just saw it. They didn't just hear it, but they saw it. You want your kids to be able to look back and say, yeah, it wasn't a game for dad. What he taught me, he lived. And that's a powerful, formative influence in a child's life. Well, Timothy also had a faithful mentor in Paul. If you jump up to verse 10, he he writes, You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings. Paul's life, it's a full-orbed example here. It's a model for Timothy to to follow. His teaching and his life were one. And even suffering could not dislodge Paul's trust in the Scriptures. So if you're his pupil, you're watching him live this out, you have this incredible motivation to follow in his footsteps. Continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. So remember who taught you, Timothy. You've seen the words authority lived out in me and in others, so follow in our footsteps. So we should believe in the authority of Scripture because of the faithful example of those who who taught us scriptures. And that's our first reason. Second reason, we should believe in the authority of scripture because of its power to bring about conversion. Uh, Verse 15, the sacred writings are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So we trust the authority of scripture because in the scriptures, we've learned about Jesus Christ and his gospel and we've been brought from death to life. We are Christians. We've been saved through this word. Only the Bible can satisfactorily explain our dilemma as sinners and the solution in Christ. All the philosophies and religions of the world are at bottom a fool's errand. But the Bible makes us wise, Paul says. We come to our senses. We can finally see. It's like a pair of glasses you can put on and finally see the world and yourself as it really is. In the Bible, we come to see, as Tim Keller puts it, that we are more sinful and flawed than we can possibly imagine. Yet in Christ, we are more loved and accepted than we ever dared hope. That's the gospel, and we find it in the Bible. Praise God. Well, one story about the power of the word to save. Um, Jason mentioned that uh, my wife and I lived in Croatia for several, several years, working with Campus Crusade for Christ uh, with college students there. Uh, Croatia is on the Adriatic Sea. If you just imagine the, the boot of Italy, just jump over east, and, and there we were in Croatia. We lived in a coastal town, and um, a little south of us was a country called Albania, uh, which also has, has coastline there with the Adriatic Sea. For about 40 years, uh, that country of Albania was locked off from the world. Missionaries could not get in. Madman of a dictator. Most atheistic regime in the entire world for 40 years. Um, But there was this outfit called Operation Mobilization. And they had the ship, the Lagos the biggest floating library in the world, Uh, Christian literature and Bibles, and they go around the world, different port cities, they do evangelistic outreaches, distribute their their stuff and hand out Bibles, and uh, there was the Lagos, um, this was several years ago, in the Adriatic Sea, coming up the coast, of course, they want to get to Albania, they want to hit those beaches, they can't, it's impossible. So, They came up with this idea. They took these little Bibles, put them in plastic bags, and dumped them into the sea by the thousands, hoping, praying, that God's word could somehow reach the coast and those people. Well, fast forward several years. I believe it was 1985. Communism falls. The country opens up. Campus Crusade staff go in. They do what they do best. They hit the beaches. They start talking to people, uh, um, just stirring up spiritual conversation, and they're meeting believers And they are befuddled. How did this happen? They would ask the people. How did you come to know this gospel? Well, I was walking along the beach one day and these bags kept floating up with books inside and so I picked one up and read it. Behold the power of the written word of God. And today Albania has hundreds and hundreds of believers in Christ. And I was actually able to sit down with George Verwer, who is the founder of Operation Mobilization. He came to our city in Croatia one time to speak. And uh, I recounted this story to him. And he said, you know, I never knew what came of that. So that was a real privilege to encourage this brother and say, hey, brother, it, it worked. Praise God. The power of God's word. Once you've met the Lord Jesus in the pages of the Bible, you trust the Bible, don't you? The third reason we should believe in the authority of Scripture is because the words of Scripture are God's words. Verse 16, all Scripture is breathed out by God. So God is the author of Scripture. The Bible's words are God's words. You know, but wait a minute, what about what Paul says in Philemon 19? I, Paul, write this with my own hand. He, he puts. Or John twenty one twenty four John writes, this is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things. So who wrote the Bible? Did God or did men? Well, Second Peter, uh, chapter 1, 21 helps us here. Uh, Peter writes, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So the origin of Scripture Is not in man, but in God. But it does say that men spoke. They spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So when you read the Bible, it's clear that God did not overrule the personalities of the human authors, right? Peter sounds different from Paul, who sounds different from Luke, who sounds different from Moses. They all have their own unique personality and voice and style and and, and even content. Not contradictory content, but they just they have different content to share. Um, so it was not as if the human authors went into some kind of trance and found their hand involuntarily moving, and they wake up and, oh, let's see what God wrote today. No, that's not how it worked at all. Um, the human authors of Scripture used their own words, and those words were precisely what God wanted them to write. That's how it worked. So we would say that, that Scripture has a dual authorship, both human and divine, with God superintending the entire process. So you can trust the Bible because the words of the Bible are God's words. All scripture is breathed out by God. Now, that might, if you listen close, that might sound like a circular argument to you. We believe that the Bible is the word of God because it claims to be the word of God. And you know, I will admit that, but The Christian is not unique in this. Everyone appeals to some unassailable authority um, by which they can make sense of the world. Uh, Maybe it's your inner feelings, or it's science, or it's some philosophical understanding. Uh, People appeal to these things, sometimes even unconsciously, as their final standard for what to believe. If there's something higher, well then that's going to be what you, you look to. At some point, you reach some unprovable proof, This is where we we stand. And there are other religious books that claim this kind of absolute authority, the Quran, the, the Book of Mormon. How are we to decide which one is right? Well, in the actual experience of life, only the Bible makes sense of the world because it's God's word. It plums the depths of the human heart. It shows us our wickedness and then it shows us the way out through Christ. You remember that line from C.S. Lewis. He says, I believe in Christianity as I believe the sun has risen. Not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. So our Christian faith in the Bible, it corresponds to reality. There is a coherence to it. Because God wrote it, you can trust it. The Bible's message is utterly unique and beautiful and satisfying. Do you know at the very center of our faith is a man who died for his enemies and who then welcomes us into God's family by faith, by trusting in him, not by what we've done. You you are not going to find that message anywhere else. Our faith is utterly unique. Well, wrapping up here, I wanted to offer some points of application for us. Uh, First of all, the Bible is the Christian's food. In fact, the song we we just finished singing mentions that. It is our sustenance. So are you spending regular time partaking of it, digesting it? You know, if you've fallen behind in your, your Bible reading and prayer, just start again. It's as simple as that. Just start again. The Lord's mercies are new every morning. So no need for extended periods of guilt. Just begin again. Reading God's Word. You might say, you know, truth be told, I don't know how to do this whole quiet time thing people talk about. And if that's the case, grab a friend here and say, hey, would you be willing to sit down with me? We could get together at a cafe or something uh, every other week for an hour to read a passage of the Bible and discuss it together. Uh, I'm finding I need some help staying in the Word, and I'm not really sure I even know what I'm doing. So can we help each other in that way and, and read the Bible together? That's discipleship. We can serve each other that way, help each other out. Secondly, are you submitting yourself to the authority of the word? Wayne Grudem, he has a good summary statement about this. He writes, all the words in scripture are God's words in such a way that to disbelieve or disobey any word of scripture is to disbelieve or disobey God. So where is the authority of the Bible challenging you right now? Are there certain passages of Scripture that you would prefer to ignore, perhaps because of sin in your life? Does the word seem distasteful or offensive to you? Verse 16 says that all Scripture is profitable. So let the word do its work. Our, Our posture, you know, when we approach Scripture should not be a, um, a a posture of suspicion right but but submission we should submit to the Word. How do you approach the word what 's your posture? and when you find yourself doubting the truthfulness of scripture, pray, God is not afraid of our questions. Talk to him about it, say, Lord, I am confused by what I just read i don 't understand what I just read, and I am." I am tempted to doubt that your word is something that I can rely on. I confess that and I I know the truth is the problem is not in your word and what I just read. The problem is in me. So would you help me? Would you open up my eyes? That is the kind of prayer God loves to answer. Consider how gracious God has been to give us his word. We are ignorant, but God's word teaches us. We are misguided and foolish, but God's word corrects us. And ultimately, God's word trains us up to live righteously. I'm just walking through verse 16 there. And then, having saved you, God now intends to mature you through his word, that you might be complete. So, how good of God to give us his word! Grudem writes, all the scripture is God breathed, and as such, it all shares the characteristic of being the very words of God. But do we ponder the implications of this stupendous affirmation? Are we saying that throughout, we are saying that throughout the entire history of the world, and throughout all written documents of all civilizations, the eternal omnipotent creator of the universe, the God who will one day judge every human being who has ever lived, this God who is overall, has given the human race just one collection of his written words, this book, the Bible. God's word is precious, and its authority should produce in us a joyful trembling and an eagerness to submit all of our thoughts and desires to its teaching. So praise God for his word. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for your word and its authority over our lives. Lord, most of all, we we thank you because therein we find our Savior, the Lord Jesus. We ask that you would continue to powerfully minister your word here in this church for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.